In the 20th century, social media platforms were physical. Parks, streets, malls, music venues, record stores. Your profile page was what you wore. Clothes, hairstyles, accessories. And it was through this interface that you communicated your personality, hoping that mutual recognition would lead to a private chat. This is how people would find and refine a set of shared codes to create a scene. This protocol was fundamental to all subcultures, but punk used it best, truly anticipating the attentional mechanics of digital culture to come. Though with ex-situationists like Malcolm McLaurin playing an integral role in the emergence of punk, this adept determinant of signs should come as no surprise. In this offline social media of street fashion, punks understood the power of attention and nonverbal communication and took it to new extremes. Who else embellished their profiles with neon-dyed mohawks, added a sonic identity with the sound of jingling chains, and covered the entire surface area of their jackets and even pants with logo patches advertising bands and beliefs like an anarchist NASCAR driver from an alternate dimension? Dodge becomes Doom, Sunoco, Subhumans, Bombardier, now Food Not Bombs, Virgin NASCAR versus Chad, Crass Car. Punk gave way to hardcore, to emo, and to the Y2K era catch-all term, indie. And just as punks were innovators in offline social media, indie kids were innovators in online social media. Makeoutclub.com was founded in 1999 by Gibby Miller, a frontman for Boston hardcore bands of the time, and who now runs the truly excellent record label Deus in LA, releasing albums by Space Africa and Drab Majesty alike. Many consider Makeout Club to be the true predecessor of Web 2.0 social media. Makeout Club was split into two sections, boys and girls. Your profile consisted of nothing more than your name, your location, a small photo, open space for a text description, links to your live journal or band website, and your AIM or ICQ instant messenger screen names. You could search for specific locations or interests, or you could browse all profiles, which were displayed chronologically according to when they were created. Sometimes people on the first few pages would sell their logins on eBay so that someone else could take their prime Makeout Club real estate. Looking at the archived Makeout Club pages from the early aughts, it's incredible how bad the photos were. Grainy snapshots, poorly lit, in that way that feels haunted, like stumbling across a stranger's forgotten photo bucket. But there was a time when getting a decent photo onto the internet was difficult and expensive. During the Makeout Club era, which is to say before normal people had Wi-Fi, Vice Magazine filled the gap, publishing monthly issues full of high-res glossy images documenting the party cultures of New York, London, Tokyo, Melbourne, Montreal, and LA, among other major nodes. Vice distributed each issue for free throughout these cities and in dozens of American apparel stores that by 2004 had proliferated across the United States. In a sense, the Vice via American Apparel Network was a physical augmentation of the indie kid internet and like the internet, was connecting kids in major and mid-sized cities to a shared cultural scene. Little Indie Makeout Club kept chugging along, but then a newer, shinier, beefier social network popped up. It was called MySpace, and it tore through the information superhighway like a bat out of hell. 
On MySpace, you could customize your profile with HTML and animated GIFs, maxing out the style parameters in the online equivalent of a punk with a rainbow mohawk. You could, and would, post a lot of photos. And most importantly, you not only showed off yourself, you showed off your friends, carefully selecting who would be publicly displayed in the coveted, attention-boosting position of your top eight. A new, more competitive social game had begun. A high-velocity surge of music and culture orbited the globe, and things inevitably started crashing together. On the pages of Vice, in mixtapes like Holotronic's Never Scared, Diplo's debut, and on MySpace, where a music player feature made the site a kind of proto SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook super platform in one. It was all one big mashup, just like the so-called hipster was one big mashup. An indie dance, part indie rock, part club music, think LCD sound system and the rapture, was the mashup meta genre that underpinned it all. DJs were now rock stars, so rock stars became DJs, and the spotlight turned to the crowd. With MySpace and its top eight, the photo-driven online attention economy was booming, and enterprising indie paparazzi took note. In their hands, the camera became a sort of ATM machine that took in images and spit out attention currency. Party bloggers like Merlin Bronx and the Cobra Snake prowled the clubs with their larger-than-life personalities, taking bright and crisp photos of their blurry-eyed subjects in the kind of high-def detail that cell phones couldn't yet manage. Within hours of the club's closing, selects from the night before would be posted to blogs that everyone would check. If a photo of you was among them, it was because you were chosen. It was Vice favorite Terry Richardson who famously provided the aesthetic blueprint. Single flash photos of triple kisses. In a post 9-11 world where hedonism and disillusionment ruled, this scene felt fast, exciting, and competitive. A totalizing augmented reality game played with music and fashion, and a public scoreboard centralized on social media and a few key blogs. The boys got sleazy, drunk off PBR and the power of the camera, as the girls got slutty, drunk off PBR and the power of their bodies. There was even hipster porn. Everyone recognized a suicide girl or a burning angel. It was indie, it was sleazy, and everyone was watching. The game wound down after Instagram democratized party photography and EDM scaled indie dance up to the mundane, the accessible, the mids. I blame Steve Aoki. It's always someone from LA. Overrun by hackers, bots, and spam, MySpace was abandoned for Facebook, which felt like a monotonous blue and gray prison. No custom HTML, no animated GIFs, no music player. Many of the hipsters shook off their hangovers and realized that waking up with the taste of creepy heteronormative excess in your mouth multiple times a week was actually unsatisfying and gross, like eating a 32-ounce T-bone steak at a truck stop. The cooler kids pivoted to a more queer underground, and many of the venues they frequented even prohibited cameras outright. The party photographers, on the other hand, pivoted to, well, does anyone really care? More recently, COVID-19 temporarily killed the parties. But people trapped at home experimented with building digital scenes 
one semi-hidden in the online realm and spread by word of mouth, not unlike makeoutclub.com. But in the cities where clubs have reopened, journalists have been clocking the return of IRL party debauchery. This is true of New York at least, and it's carrying receipts. Photos of half-naked young people getting obliterated at the club, evoking a horny FOMO in the rest of us. The party photo having reclaimed its sense of danger and taboo. If not through the risk of contracting Omicron from triple kissing, then from those triple kisses lingering online until the next Me Too. There is talk, scratch that, there is a flood of think pieces announcing a return of indie sleaze, a renaissance of Audi's hipster depravity. While part of the trend is TikTokers LARPing as hot messes in Los Angeles apparel in front of white bedroom walls, spots like the East Village Club Lola are offering some semblance of the real thing. Lola is the club of Travis Bass, a man old enough to have weathered more than one cycle of sleaze boom and bust having briefly worked for Peter Gation's Limelight in the late 90s, which was evidently long enough to make a career out of being a pop-up club impresario. Travis wears glasses that kind of look like Terry Richardson's and prowls his own parties taking photos that kind of look like Terry Richardson's. But the bodies in Bass's photos are young, too young for the first indie sleaze, too young to know that makeoutclub.com ever existed. In a recent interview, Bass lists what makes a great club night. A mixture of people from different walks of life, different scenes, sexy, rich, poor, scholars, dropouts, skaters, bankers, penthouse, projects, creatives, financiers, LA, Paris, NYC. Notice he didn't provide a contrast to sexy. It's just the classic mashup recipe for Bohemia. But maybe a feeling of Bohemia has been harder to materialize in recent years, as the pandemic limited gatherings, algorithms throttled chance encounters, and theory and politics supplanted music and fashion as the common basis for creating new scenes. Yet while most of us remain stuck living a word cell life in front of the screen, New York City has emerged in front of the lens, boasting Julia Fox, a fashion week packed with bodies, actually famous podcasters who congregate in an actually existing place called Dime Square, local gossip circulated in print, an anti-woke film festival, whatever that means, and a freshly popped bottle of sex, drugs, and indie sleaze, vintage 2008. As we search to convey meaning with text, strain to find solid ground in a cerebral sludge of murky sense-making, New York effortlessly tells a thousand words thousands of times over in pictures of the real. In turn, New York is serving us what we secretly desire, some hedonism to go with our disillusionment, sex, freedom, and a scene where one can be seen. But we know how this story inevitably ends. Steve Aoki will DJ at Lola for the launch party of his chopped and skizzed alt-lit NFT publishing house. The anti-anti-anti-woke film festival will fold after a Roman Polanski-esque aphibophilia scandal. Dime Square will become a human zoo, with walking tours that promise a meme account admin sighting or 50% of your money back. And everyone else will finally shake off their hangovers and start wondering, what next? Short. Short.
Okay, so we're being joined right now by Taylor Scarabelli in New York. Taylor is a critic and a senior editor at Interview Magazine. She is a repeat guest on the pod. Last year, she came on to speak about a term that she coined called cringe core, which I guess describes fashion imagery that gets traction by being so bad at successful. Um, But we wanted to speak to Taylor today because she just penned a really great article that might give us some coordinates for what seems to be an increasingly less self-serious social media space, like less P2P language policing, less hysteria over signs. Specifically, Taylor has written a piece for an interview titled The Indie Sleaze Revival is a Hot Mess, speaking to the new embrace of Audi's party aesthetics, like the kind popularized, if not immortalized, by the Cobra Snake and American Apparel. I want to preface this conversation with the fact that our focus here is not what's hot now. I mean, like the entire concept of a fashion trend hardly tracks anymore. And we'd have to invite you on for like a full hour and a half series to really unpack that. (laughs) Um, But we are interested in what aspects of this old trend, when I guess trends were still trends, appear newly emergent to you, what is contrasting it, why it might feel so resonant in 2022. So um, with that long preamble, Taylor, welcome to the pod and thank you for making the time. Thanks for having me. First of all, I'll say that just because trends cycle so fast doesn't mean there are no trends. Okay, good point. It's very clear to me, like, you know, the indie sleaze trend became a thing on TikTok with all these kids and then it was picked up by media outlets. But like, we were all seeing it way before that. Like, going out in New York has been... So interesting lately because all these DJs are like playing stuff that I used to hear in the club in like 2008 and it's honestly really triggering (laughs) and a lot of it is like the really basic like electro that like was kind of the most popular stuff like Kid Cudi like Crookers remix and like all these really cringe songs. And I'm just like, what is happening? Why is this going on? Is this, again, feel like a New York trend? Well, I mean, I don't know. I haven't traveled. It feels like a New York trend because I've been in New York and I'm seeing it here. But I think everything is also like an online trend. But it's interesting because like it's a blend of all these like different things that happened in this era. So it's not just, oh, this was like 2008. Like the way trend revivals get reinterpreted is like a big mess of everything that was like cool in like a 10 year time frame. That's why it's kind of confusing too, where it's like American apparel, deep Vs, but it's also like Tumblr aesthetic now, which is like contrasting for a lot of us who are like around during that time. Yeah, I, I was just listening to a podcast. They were talking about Twee and they had read a book on it and they had a lot of very smart points, but there was also a total collapse of time where they were talking about the hipster as being Twee. And like, that's kind of true, but kind of not. Like it became that for sure. But initially it was like more associated with like electro clash or like an angular kind of messy as opposed to penny loafers and cat eye glasses. I mean, yeah, those are like, like pointy shoe indie bands and angular haircuts and very like liquid sky. That New was York. like hipster at that. Right. Yeah. So I wouldn't have conflated those two, but they did. So can you just briefly give some more aesthetic references? Yeah, I think like indie sleaze is a good term for like reframing a broad concept of like hipster because it does 
does point to a more specific trend within that, which stem from American apparel advertisements, dim Mac parties and like Steve Aoki and like greasy hair, like people doing too much Molly, maybe some like matte lipstick mixed with like messy eyeliner, Jeffrey Campbell Lita boots. Um, disco pants from American Apparel, those like really basic signifiers of that time. And in its time, what do you think those aesthetics were responding to? Like what was the impetus for that look in the late aughts? Well, I mean, the recession was happening, but there was also kind of this liberating moment. Barack Obama was elected. People were just down to party. People were feeling good. There was a darkness, but it was a similar feeling to that like Y2K glamorous over the top style, but like grungier. It was also, it was not monolithic even then, you know, like there was the hardcore guy who turned fashion core, got into fashion and broke edge and started raving basically. Skinny jean, like the rapture kind of guys had a little bit of that like post-punk band kind of look. And there was X scene girls. Yeah. Also the American apparel look. That was kind of like growing up from Hot Topic. Was kind <laughs> of, and then there was like the more European edge of it. Yeah. Jeremy Scott was like the American designer that was more in tune with what was the hipster look in London, which was more like a Matthew Stone wow wow and super super magazine. Right, like the heavy slimane, like right. like skinny jean, like that like the classier end of it versus like the mass market like American apparel end of it. Totally. Yeah, there was a kind, there were actually were kind of regional. Like New York had the Berlinsburg thing. So they had this Berlinsburg was so much earlier. I'm tracing these aesthetic threads though, right? right? It's like there was the Electro Clash look, which is kind of a synthesis of like the indie rock look with a little bit of like Berlin, like uh, peaches, whatever magic on it. But that's a way earlier. That's like an earlier era though. I feel like this indie sleaze thing is like 2008 to 2012. And it was really like once hipster culture like went mainstream, like it was no longer actually indie. And I think that's what's interesting about it, too, now is that it makes sense that the revival would be that because it's not actually like going into like some like subculture or rebellion. It's actually just the apex of whatever being alt was. That makes totally. Sense. Like Steve Aoki 1.0. Exactly. I mean, what's interesting to me, too, is that at that moment, it was still early social media days. Because when Cobra Snake started, that was like early aughts. And there was this way that the photographer was this arbiter of one's cultural capital in those scenes where you would dress crazy because you wanted your photo taken because then a photographer would validate your look as like having social currency and you'd show up on a blog. But like by 2008, mm-hmm. then people were posting themselves. That was no longer really necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Like you was, had- It was even longer. Than, it was even later so? than that. Instagram wasn't- uh, Well, that was like the era of- like everybody bringing a digital camera to the club right. and like uploading a hundred pics the next day. Yeah. Yeah. There was only a few Instagram like, accounts at that time. It was the Cobra snake. The, like, right. The last night's party. party yeah. And like, yeah. I mean, people really wanted their photos to be taken and put on the internet. Right. 
But now that dynamic is just not there because there aren't those same kind of gatekeepers. And so what is it about now that has allowed the floodgates to open? What is it? Well, I think it's just like an energetic thing where like right before COVID, everyone in America was like more into ketamine and the party scene was like a little darker. And now people are like pent up and want to party and want to be crazy and want to be seen. But it's also, I don't know, it just seems like nostalgia. Like every era has nostalgia for like old tech. I read that kids are going to thrift stores and buying old like iPod nanos and shuffles and like discovering music that way, which I think is so cool and hilarious. And so maybe there's a side of it that's just like, oh, we want to try like old point and shoots again because that's like niche aesthetic, like in the way that we were doing that with film cameras or whatever. True. In like that actual like indie era. I also think about it though as, I mean, especially in New York, after a couple years of feeling very much like there were a lot of taboos, a lot of things you shouldn't be saying or doing in public. Looking back to that time mm. as a time like we want to be free like this again. Yeah, of course. And I think that's a very obvious thing. But it's also in terms of like party culture, it did feel like this last grasp of like toxic masculinity within like this underground cool kids scene where like, of course, there's still like EDM and all these parties. And I'm not saying that like things have changed and like feminism like succeeded. But I do think we don't worship like male DJs who are like pouring vodka down people's throats and that would never fly now. So there's like something edgy about that, but also weird. Like why would we want to go back there? So I think the appeal is more like you said, an aesthetic release where like people love to like shit post on Instagram now. And like, it's nice to like be able to go out and like not do your hair properly, but can feel like sexy or cool because you're wearing like super tall heels and like red lipstick instead of having your shit all snatched and Botoxed or whatever. <laughs> I think that's appealing. I was really gagged because there was like a thousand kids like in a club last weekend going crazy for an Uffy DJ set. No. <laughs> like in Brooklyn. Like oh and there's God. a couple like cute bands like coming up. Um, like Club Eat with Renji and Chicken who are like totally have an electro clash kind of sound and are like doing this like I don't know. They are like opening for Uffy and like I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I feel like these sounds are coming back too, which is interesting. And I was curious to hear your perspective on that because you did stuff like boys noise and whatever, right? Yeah, I think it's really hard to tell from Europe, especially because... I the mean, clubs are still closed here. The clubs That's are like closed here. Thing. And also right. back in that time, there was also a big divide between Europe and the States and even within like the blog house scene. There were people who were more had European, more European sensibilities and people had more like LA Cobra Snake mm. Steve Aoki sensibilities and that was kind of like a, a right. split um, but I think the closest analogy I can see here is the techno scene in Moscow right now which uh, energy of the party yeah. in terms of like dudes being bad and like girls dancing being topless crazy. Yeah. and like the music oh, being really, really hard and yeah. aggressive Love again Club, and, like, not, yeah, wow. and not being very uh, politically correct absolutely like Moscow is like the, the electro techno scene there is just like very heteronormative madness yeah. right now and it really like that makes a lot of sense yeah. um, but 
any read on other members of that scene and how they're doing now? I mean, it's of course, it's always like fun to like revisit your old heroes or whatever celebrities. But I think it's cooler to try to see like how people are reinterpreting that now. Definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, Nikki Tekesh hosts a podcast oh, with, right. Julia, with Fox. Julia Fox That feels now, like it's so, part of this as well. Uh, yeah. Oh, somebody who I feel like is such an indie sleaze girl is Chloe Cherry. Oh my God. From Euphoria. Well, I was just saying this, of all the faces of Euphoria, for some reason, like her whole look feels like mm-hmm. the most 2022 icon that has, well, emerged in this first month. But right? It's, what is it? And let me just say, she definitely has an LA apparel sponsorship going on because she's like in those skirts. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. But just also this kind of like Malen fantasy yeah. of like a pro Anna Gen Z in American apparel. Yeah. And that's the other thing that is scary yeah. to me because I'm seeing that for sure. And I'm not into it. The pro Anna shit. Yeah. There's like the toxic side of that where it's like, who can wear disco pants? Anyone can wear them, but they were made for like an extremely thin woman. Do you see that in live space as well? Like it's Yeah, like- I've been seeing it. I don't really know how to talk about that. It's tough. Right. I feel like Euphoria itself feels very much like Grant Singer and Patrick Sandberg's IRL, but like, you know, written by Sam Levinson. But yeah, I've, something else is Guy Ferreira is supposedly coming out with another album. And then she was like one of these bridge kind of characters. I mean, IRL also captured like a scene that was much cooler than the Cobra Snake. Oh, right. Like, like Hayley Woolen, Sandy Kim. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, and like... Sky Ferreira also like, maybe seemed like she was adjacent to that scene, but that's just because everyone always took her picture, but she right. was associated with something far much different than that scene. That's true. Like, well, yeah, that's wasn't true. in that that's scene. That's true. Like, that's true. Uh, I think there's something very specific, like... The commercial aspect is a very the Cobra Snake LA yeah, yeah, American yeah, Apparel totally big glasses yeah, mixing signs. Right, you're is right, a very you're right, specific right. sort of yes, mass yes, yes, moment, and yes. I think that's what kind of looked towards in right, indie sleeves, if right. I understand yes. correctly. For sure, I think like party photographs and like boom boom room, then showing up on a blog I mean, and kids buying it at American Apparel. I think the main litmus test though was did you think American Apparel was corny or not? Like, but those, you could that think, could separate right. the but entire. But you could think American Apparel is corny and still go there and like buy your swimsuit suit because whatever. I like, know, but you there's know? a very like a gap serious divide between the shutter shade American apparel, like Steve Aoki people oh, true. and the yeah. other side of like what was still a sexualized indie sleaze. Yeah. I feel like you're really showing your true hipster colors right now. <laughs> Sad. I'm really glad you're making these differentiations. <laughs> well, it was the, there, was, there was a lot of diversity. Of, uh, I did live on North 9th and Williamsburg. Yeah. I saw the whole progression. But uh, also, maybe we should talk about the kind of like white supremacy aspect of this. Oh, like, yeah. So, of course, indie sleaze in its first iteration also has a dark side. I mean, we know what happened to one of the founders of Vice that led to the Proud Boys and a particular kind of political adjacency. So how is that articulating itself as part of this revival? Ooh, that's a scary question. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I I would like to hope that things will be different now. It's not going to be like a top-down trend in the way that it was before, like we kind of talked about. Like, it's not like I need this photographer at the club to take my picture to like say that I'm cool. Anybody can dress up however the fuck they want and put whatever they want on Instagram and get attention for it or TikTok or whatever it is. Again, like, I don't think straight bros really, like, run the scene in New York as much anymore. So it's just, like, the girls and the gays and people are just having fun. That being said, like, Travis Bass, like, threw the Lomax after party, like, two weekends ago for the, like, Geiger opening. Uh And there was some, like, hilarious... I don't know, indie sleaze moments on the dance floor, for sure. I mean, there does, there is some, like, libidinal, dark, hetero, beast energy that could be unlocked by this trend, I feel <laughs> like. Like, guys being like, oh, I'm so tired of, like, the days where, like, you could just get drunk girls to show their tits to the camera and, like, do triple kisses without asking consent. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like... <laughs> I mean, I could, I can imagine like the kind of Zoom, like the Zoomers who like are, I don't know, anti-woke film festival attendees or something. Yeah, the alt-lit Zoomers or whatever. They're like, yeah, but all those people are fucking nerds and like, it's not going to happen for them. Like, good luck. You know what I mean? It's like, they're just all behind their little like keyboards and like making their memes. (laughs) You know, like I love Tom Tuna, but like, it's it's not going to like, it's not like he's going to like go out there and be like some like party kid. You know? I feel like a lot of that scene, like that hips, that messy hipster party scene was about like nerds finding a way to be cool and end up in highly sexually charged well, yeah, environments. Yeah, you hear Gober Snake's story. He's like, oh, I was just like a nerdy kid who liked to, who used a camera to meet I people. I feel like the guys have the most to gain from it. The guys want to go back to like the time when men were men. The post Me Too backlash, I don't think it's going to go that far. Especially like in nightlife spaces where as somehow like corny as it sounds like that's like a real like safe space usually and like bad things happen. But like people do look out for each other and I can't really imagine the whole tone of nightlife shifting in that direction. That being said, I do think like with the younger kids, maybe it's a little different. Like maybe those scenes where you have like older club promoters And just kids who want to party who like don't really know what's going on. Maybe that is a space where like that kind of culture could percolate again. But I don't think in the terms of what we understand as like nightlife, I don't see it there. And because I'm thinking of like the Sotheby's NFT sales with Steve Aoki and Paris Hilton shilling their NFTs, does this feel like there's any crypto energy or does it feel like a space that's sort of separate from that? (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I'm not in this NFT scene at all. I can't really speak to that. I saw that Mark the Cobra Snake was like commenting to someone, should we make an NFT of this interview (laughs) magazine shoot? And I'm like, I have no idea how that works. Go off. Will anyone buy it? I mean, maybe like maybe some nerdy old hipsters want that. (laughs) 
I don't I know. I mean, a lot of people from that era, I think, got into crypto and like NFTs. Like, the aesthetic is the, very like 2012 vaporwaves. And there's still that's perma adolescent. Right, board eight. Vibe I mean, about yeah. it. I mean, still see like shutter shades on the NFT characters, <laughs> which is just like so fucking past its prime. Like, it's so not in a retro cycle. From, it's just no, like they're still like, thinking that's like the reference. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's, the funky so party dresses. <laughs> and so maybe that was part of the inspiration for this coming back is people started seeing all these signifiers from that era pop up from like naive, genuinely ex-hipsters <laughs> who thought it still was currently cool. And younger people thought it was just a new retro cycle popping up because you don't know how old anyone is on the Internet. And yeah. Next thing you know, here we go. I wonder if like the irony is going to be lost, though. Like, I feel like. This is like an aesthetic revival. It's a music revival, but like it's so hard to even like be sarcastic on the internet right now. You know what I mean? Like, put on your world's number one granddad t shirt and like <laughs> short 80s jogging shorts and high socks, some saconis, your pedo glasses, a headband and pedo glasses. Oh, yes. This whole trad movement is kind of an indie sleaze revival too. Cause you have like that brand like praying that has those t-shirts and say like God's favorite. Like that's very indie sleaze yeah. to me. But it's like a weird crossover where like the whole trad thing is like always a little bit ironic, but not. It's like new sincerity irony. It's so ironic that it's sincere. Yeah. And maybe that's it. <laughs> no, I Cause mean, like it, it, indie sleaze is just like 1.0 irony. Tricath is like 2.0 irony. Well, it's it's yeah, exactly. It's kind of irony that 4chan like engineered and proved that you engage with it ironically to the point where you actually believe it. Right. Like irony is a, the safest vector to belief, but yeah, you, the detachment absolutely. is just right. What's not there? To me, that aesthetically, it does kind of align with this indie sleaze thing. Well at a time when a lot of people are just saying there's no trends, there's no cycles, therefore, like, what's even the job of a fashion critic? Yet I feel like when I read your writing, you give a reason every time. Our bodies are our medium, and that is how we can gauge where we are collectively. So thank you so much for giving us this dive into this revival of Indie Sleaze. As I understand it, the article comes out in print at the end of the month, I guess probably the March issue. Yes. But we will yes. link to the digital version in the pod so you can read it online now if you can't wait until the issue drops. But buy the issue anyway because it's a really great print experience. Thank you. Yeah, Thank thanks, you. For thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this new model short and thank you, Taylor Scarabelli, for your on-the-ground reporting from New York. To read Taylor's article, The Indie Sleaze Revival is a Hot Mess, check out the link in the episode description. Or, better yet, indulge in actual paper and go buy a print copy of Interview's March issue when it hits the newsstands next week. That's all for this time. Thanks again for tuning in, and see you next episode. This has been a New Models production. Music and mixing by Low Internet. For more, visit patreon.com slash newmodels. Be sure to sign up for the channel mailing list at channel.xyz and stay updated on our upcoming Season 1 public launch.